When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, Ollie. Hey, Dave. What's going on today? Dave, I'm so happy to be sitting here across from you in your cozy house with your cozy Christmas tree. And by cozy, I don't mean small. I mean cozy as in it's so warm and happy here. Well, that's the atmosphere we try and create here. Nice job. Thank you. All right. Um, Hey, Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you too. Yeah, right? We made it through another year. We are heading into... 2020, 2030, 2040? Yeah, yeah. it's the future. We're heading into the future, so welcome to it. Uh, it's very exciting. Uh, this is our uh, look back. You can't go forward before you, first you got to look back before you, you head forward. You learn from history, right? <laughs> so we're going to try and this is this will be our learning episode. Yeah, what did we learn? Here's the thing. So you do learn from history, but they say that those that what don't acknowledge history are doomed to repeat whatever the saying is. I would be happy if we could have another year like this year. That would be so odd. We had a great year. Yeah, it was a very good year. We had 37 episodes of new content. We are so so much content. That is a lot. That's a lot. 37 weeks of 52 weeks. Yes. That's how many there are in a year. That's what I hear. That's <laughs> what history tells us. Yeah, so we divide up our year with uh, first a, a look back at a year that was for some reason, we decided to look back at the year that was 1986 in 2023. You make it sound like there's no more rhyme or reason for that. But we started this podcast five years ago, almost six years ago, and we started with 1980. Yeah, we should have started with, what year was it, 2017? We should have started with 1987. I think it was 2018. What, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22? Uh, well, no. <laughs> I'm bad at math. Okay. Anyway, what I'm trying to get at is we're looking at uh, in the in the future, we're going to look at back at 1987. That's the future is 1987. The past is 1986. So like last year, 1986, first we looked at the K-Rock countdown of the top 106.7 songs that were played on K-Rock that year. And we broke it down in 10 song chunks. We talked to anybody about that? Oh, we talked to a lot of people. We like to do this with other radio people who know a lot about the music and and just had a good sense of the year. The people that that were there. Yeah. They've got personal stories to share. They do. They knew the artist. They know the music. And we like hearing their stories. So we had a whole host of radio people join us this year. Yeah, we had a few. We had a couple from 91X in San Diego, Max Tolkoff and Michael Halloran. They were awesome, had amazing stories. 91X was so far ahead of its time back in the day. We were the first station to ever stream a concert. 
we did a live broadcast at 91X with Pearl Jam because Eddie grew up on 91X. Pearl Jam had their own little micro transmitter they brought with them, like 100 watts. And they'd set it up outside the building. I had gotten permission from Eddie to patch into their lines pre, like right out of the soundboard, pre their transmitter. So we patched in there. And Eddie on stage at one point goes, look, uh, I know that some radio stations in San Diego are broadcasting the show as well. And I just want to make one thing clear. It's on the bootleg somewhere. And he says, I only gave one station permission. So he starts doing the legal ID in Spanish. Eddie grew up on it. He's like, he knows it. He's, he's doing it in Spanish. Not well, by the way. He, he kind of fucked it up a little bit. But uh, the insane part about it is, is that, you know, that's the kind of radio station we've always been is we're there for the artists. Who else did we talk to? We talked to Rita Wild, who we'd been wanting to talk to for a long time. For sure. Yeah. Thank goodness. Yeah, that was great to talk to Rita. Walk This Way, Run DMC. We love Aerosmith. We love, we play everything they do. What about this? Uh, you know, we didn't play the Beastie Boys. Yeah. So that was like, you know, kind of like the same thing. It's just like, no, I think maybe it was played once or twice, but then the reaction on the phones was just horrendous. Okay. That it was just like that they just, no, don't do it. I remember the first time we tried to play Depeche Mode. It's like, don't ever play Depeche Mode on KLOS. I mean, people were adamant about that. You know, I, I warned Dave about that, Dave using it, you know, because he was like playing something. I go, people are going to turn on you. But then you, you realize that, no, well, Depeche Mode, I mean, you know, they did that whole thing at the warehouse and the Rose Bowl. And, you know, you can't deny that their impact on Los Angeles, I mean, huge. But, you know, I guess those tried and true rock and rollers at that time did not want to hear Run DMC. What did you think of it personally? Uh, didn't care for it. Like it much better now, you know, as, as time gone by, like, I like the Beastie Boys now too. It's like, I'm a little late on that, but yeah, <laughs> yeah it's like, yeah, it's a good song. Yeah. She was wonderful, as was Dennis Constantine, uh, formerly of KBCO, uh, who, who was uh, just the, the architect of the AAA format. So that was a great talk with him. Between KZY and KBPI, then tightening down to 185 songs, I felt there was an opportunity for a station that could be uh, in the spirit of progressive, the old progressive stations, but more focused on being a local, being connected to the local music scene because Colorado had a very active music scene at the time. And it was, it was Michael Murphy, Dan Fogelberg, Stephen Stills, you know, Judy Collins, all these singer songwriters were living in Colorado. And so we created this station that kind of was singer songwriter based. And then right after we went on the air, that was 1977, new wave and punk hit. So we thought, well, you know, this kind of fits. And so we started working that music in and it became a, a full service kind of like um, new rock and a, new rock and acoustic station. <laughs> it was, it was, it was an eclectic mix, but it worked. And the, and Denver, Loved it. Uh, who else we got? Oh, we talked to Buzz Knight, a radio guy. He's radio through and through. He came and talked to us and he has his own podcast now, also Taking a Walk podcast. Yes, I cleverly titled that episode Having a Sit with Buzz Knight. That, that was, was that, very clever. Yeah, oh, it, all our episodes have clever wordplay. They do. Thank guaranteed, you, guaranteed to have clever wordplay. <laughs> clever is uh, in quotes 
and uh, should always be in quotes. Whenever I talk, I use the quotes. I think you're clever. I don't think you are clever. clever. I think you are actually clever. All right. Well, thank you for that. And speaking of clever, how about topping our K-Rock countdown off last year with Comedy Bang Bang's Scott Ackerman? Uh, number four, Drama Rama, anything, anything. In parentheses, I'll give you. I'll give you. Yeah. Didn't the lead singer have a, have a, like a Beatles radio show for a long time, too? Uh, no, you're thinking of yeah. Yeah, Chris Carter. Chris Carter was in Drama Rama. Chris uh, Carter, he also created the x-files so it's like you know drama rama's had a huge influence <laughs> on pop culture yes indeed they have uh, my question to you was have you ever gifted anyone something uh someone something a little embarrassing or anything like that have you given your wife something like oh that was a big <laughs> yeah my wife my wife i found out pretty early on in our relationship that i was not allowed to buy purses for her okay because the look of disgust on her face because i would see a purse in like a department store and go oh that looks cool oh i'll buy her a purse for christmas and then she'd get it and go like Ugh. and then i look at the purses she buys and i'm like that looks like shit too like what is the difference here but I don't have the eyes for it, I guess. Cause she'll look at one person go like, that's gorgeous. And she'll look at another person and say, this looks like a piece of shit. So I don't, and, and there's no difference between the two to me. So I'm not allowed to buy purses anymore. I'm impressed that you ever were that you actually went into a store and thought, Oh, this looks really nice. I think I'll buy it. You would think that there would be some sort of, uh, you know, grace with, with that, the fact that I tried, but no, yes. there was none. There was none. It was just <laughs> pure hatred for the purse. That's mad respect to your wife for like, look, this is something you can't do. Please that's don't. One, that's one way to look at it. Nice yeah. try. Yeah. It was great. We talked to uh, all these people in at 10 songs at a time and we got their, their whole backstory and, you know, learned a little bit and we're the much better people for having heard their stories. We're fuller. We are definitely fuller. <laughs> fuller people. Yes. More well-rounded. Yes. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to find out who we're going to talk to about 1987. Me too. <laughs> so how far ahead are so so we're 2024, we're talking about 1987. 17, 17. Oh, no, 30, 30, the year 2000, 33 years, 33 years. All right. So we have a 33 year span, 33, like 33 and a third. That's how we'll remember it. Yes. All right. Very good. So what happened in uh, 2023 with the, what difference does it make podcast? Oh, we got to speak to a lot of the artists that we saw then perform, which was really fun, like The Church. We talked to Steve Kilby. Yeah, one of our most popular episodes, Steve Kilby of The Church. Yeah, the, is it The Hypnogog? The Hypnogog. Yeah, yeah. It's like a, what do you call it, like a, like a Rush 21 it was, uh, Yeah, it was a, a concept album. Concept. Yes, we love the concept albums. The Church are doing concept albums in 2023. Yeah, that dry sense of humor. Of course, I, I look at Wikipedia, which never lies, and it said you sang a verse of Old Man Emu by a, the Australian country music artist John Williamson. I looked that up, and it's like a kid's song. Did you sing that song, and, and why? And was it, does it have some significance for you? I'm going to give you a performance of it right now with the Australian accent. Please okay. note that I'm an Englishman, so I, I find amusement in speaking like this. You silly galah, I'm better by far than a white cockatoo or a budgerigar. They squeak and squawk and try and talk. Why, me and them's like cheese and chalk. <laughs> Did you like that? 
I loved it. I, <laughs> I think you should be doing voiceovers. Um, if that song was a huge hit when I was about 15, and um, I guess as each, see, I've got five daughters, and as each, <laughs> as each of the, and they came in twins, so I had two lots of twins, I would amuse them because you start grasping at straws sometimes to amuse your kids to, and I found this one was very efficacious to do the you stupid galah uh, to do the bird thing about a, a, a um an emu, the kids would be temporarily amused by that, um and stop sticking forks in the power sockets, while I <laughs> while I did my my various poems. I also taught them all kinds of things. They could they could rap punk punk songs and um i also taught them this one are you ready for this i've got a knife for strife i've got a gun for fun i get money from my mum but you can't get none because i'm a hoodlum <laughs> hoodlum i used to have all my kids <laughs> saying that like my posse behind me that was an australian punk band i also had them doing cherry bomb they loved that one Hello, Daddy. Hello, Mom. I'm your ch -ch -ch. and they love Susie Quattro as well. Forty-eight crash. So all my kids were raised with like the sputum and detritus of all the lyrics and stupid songs going round and round in their father's head. I'd sit them down and teach it to them, and it amused me to see them parrot all this stuff. You know, like <laughs> this this ridiculous, bizarre, random lyrics that I had accumulated over a lifetime to see all my daughters saying this stuff. It amused me. Yeah, that, that was fun. And then we saw we saw Glenn Matlock. We, we talked did. to him first and then we saw him. Yeah. Was there someone that was pretty vacant or what was, who, who was this? What did you write about? Who was oh, the person? Oh, I, I wrote that song because Malcolm had been going backwards and forwards to New York and had told us there was this scene over there. Now the, the, the bands that were coming through, like, the early heartbreakers and television and maybe the Ramones were beginning to go down. But they hadn't made any records, so we had no idea what they sounded like. And Malcolm brought back this kind of list of songs that he pinned up on the wall in his shop. He would put like postcards from people up and things, and there was a list of songs. And the first song was open brackets, in the arms of closed brackets, and then Venus de Milo which I thought was a bit weird because I was at art school at that time and I know the statue of Venus de Milo has got, by David, has got no arms because they've fallen off. So I thought that was kind of a weird idea. And then the next song on this list was Blank Generation. And that kind of got me thinking, and what was going on in England and London was it's pretty much akin to what's going on now. You know, it did seem this air of, if you don't grab the bull by the arms and do something for yourself, you're going to come unstuck. So it gave me the pretty vacant idea, but I hadn't heard any of their music then. So that was kind of quite a good cultural kind of um, little spark to give you an idea, you know. Saw him at the Roxy. That was great because he played with a number of other amazing musicians that we love, like Clem Burke and Gilby Clark. Are you forgetting that Kathy Valentine played with him? I did. <laughs> I did completely. We never forget about Kathy Valentine. Well, we did. Glenn Matlock has his album Consequences Coming that is worth checking out. We had uh, yeah, a great time at the show because yeah, it was, we had all these amazing musicians and he plays Sex Pistol songs. 
Kathy played some songs. And Kathy played her songs too. I believe she played Can't Stop the World. I believe she did. We saw that. We saw that. I believe we saw that. (laughs) I believe a little lot. uh, I believe believe we fly. Yeah. All right. I believe it's time for a break. We're having fun reminiscing on the What Difference Does It Make podcast. But I believe now is the time to take a break. We will be back shortly. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner. And Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. And we're back on the What Difference Does It Make podcast, looking back at 2023. We also saw the Cruel Worlds Fest. We did see the Cruel World Fest. And we also went with friends of the show. We met a couple of friends of the show there. We went with our friend, Craig Rosen. And then we met friend of the show. Jake Rude. Of Twin Cities fame, yes. Jake is like the Richard Blade of the Twin Cities and more. No no one does more than Richard Blade. But yes, very cool to see Jake. I don't have a cat. This is my buddy that sits next to me all day. This is Harry. Harry! Uh, uh, named after uh, Mr. Styles. Harry Connick Jr., as a matter of fact. Oh. Yeah. Harry Bennett, uh, also named after Tony Bennett. He likes to croon, and we love our crooners around here. So that was my first radio station experience was KFJM AM 1370 Grand Forks. I was a big band, a swing, and um, I guess crooner. DJ in, in early college. Uh, I was just obsessed with Frank Sinatra and Harry Connick Jr. And um, and it was a jazz station. It was my first gig. So it was a nice fit. Wait, was this during the swing era? Like when the voodoo daddies? Before it. Before, oh. before Cherry Pop and Daddies, before Squirrel Nut Zippers. Yeah, that was probably what, mid-90s? This would have been 93. Three, so I don't know when those guys hit the scene, but when you, when everyone's going grunge, you, you were <laughs> going to croon, crooner. Yeah. yeah, 
No, I've never, I mean, I respect all those grunge bands and, you know, I've got a handful of favorites, but I've always been an 80s guy. Yeah, we had just talked to him like a couple of weeks ago and boom, there he was. <laughs> in the flesh. In the flesh. <laughs> we don't talk to people in the flesh too much. I mean, you know, I don't talk to yeah. you in the flesh too much. I know. That's why this is such a treat. Yeah. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You say that sarcastically, but I meant it. <laughs> okay. Thank you. My feelings are hurt. Uh, Although well, really, your feelings should be, you, you could be extra mean. You gave me a holiday gift and I gave uh, you nothing. Yeah, well. <laughs> gave you a lump of coal. That's the only reason I give gifts, so I, so I can make people feel bad about themselves. <laughs> and at, we th- at the What happened at the Crow World Fest that, that was memorable? Besides, uh, the, besides all the bands. The bands that we saw, so we, yeah. we want to just go right to the thunder and lightning. Yeah, <laughs> they, they kicked us out. All right, kids, you've had enough fun. Now get the hell out of here. We got through the whole day. We knew it was supposed to rain all day. There was a chance. Yeah. It was in the, the forecast. Brookside at the Rose Bowl yeah. in Pasadena, California. No. Iggy played a few songs. Yeah. And then it was shut down. So we missed the headliner. The headliners. Yeah. Susie Sue. So we missed <laughs> Iggy. We only saw like three songs of Iggy and they pulled the plug and then we missed and then Susie didn't, never got to go on. And then, you know, they kick us out and like, all right, well, I guess that's the end of that. And everyone's upset. And then less than, what, 12 hours later, we get a note saying, You can come back. <laughs> Tomorrow. So we went back and we saw Iggy do a full set. We saw Susie do a full set. And we saw Gary Newman do a full set. Yes, also, and for those who chose, because Gary Newman did play, I think we split up during this time, right? Yeah. And, and someone went to see Gary and someone went to see someone else. But he came back and played a full set also, which was really cool. Yeah. No crossover with bands. He just got to, he got to, that's a three, three artist set right there, which is actually, I would have probably paid the same amount of money just to see those three. Yeah. That was, <laughs> that was spectacular. That was a really cool thing to do. And they didn't charge for parking again. That's true. Yeah. So. <laughs> that's a bonus. Good, good on extra. Golden Voice. Good on you guys. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, okay, well, I, we talked about this then, but now in hindsight, all these many months later, do you have a favorite? A favorite? From, from Cruel World, a favorite artist that you saw? I, I love Diggy. And we, we saw some good, we saw ABC, <laughs> we saw Modern English, we saw Gang of Four, we saw The Vapors. Yeah. So the Cruel World Fest, it's, it's fun. It's, uh, <laughs> it's fun. It's, it's fun, more than fun. It's a good time. I'm uh, cooling off on festivals, I think. I'm reaching that age. You were, but I think when this comes along again, if you don't go, you might have FOMO. Well, I'll probably, yeah, I might. We'll see. I don't know. I don't know. We'll play it by ear. I know. I know. I'm at the age where like, all right, fine. (laughs) I don't need, but we'll see. Okay. You can just sit with that for a little while. You don't have to to make any rash decisions, but we did see. (laughs) Rash decisions. (laughs) We did see a few other artists this year. Oh yeah. Who'd we see? We saw Depeche Mode. We did see Depeche Mode. That was great. Yeah. However, yeah. I made the biggest mistake. <laughs> and I will never do this again. What mistake did you make? I will never eat at the Sizzler again. Oh. <laughs> I thought it was... It was <laughs> I, I had a FOMO of, I wish I can go back in time and, and remove this. Was it that bad? Oh. It was, well, I mean, we, we ate there together, but was the, was the, well, whatever happened I, to you? It was not, you know, how you mentioned this is, you know, cozy and warm and inviting. I didn't get any of those feelings. I wanted that feeling when I went to Sizzler. I did not. I felt like, oh my God, I got to get out of here. This is just a horrible, horrible place. Okay. So Sizzler, for those not familiar with it, 
Everyone knows Sizzler. Is it a, is it a nationwide chain? I think or so. Worldwide? Okay. Yeah, it is. Where you get the crappy steak and and it used to be like you can get your crappy steak, but you get like the toast and the the salad bar was like, like it was like a like, like it was a party. It was a party yeah. salad bar. It was really amazing. Like so many great things. We used to go there when we were kid. When we were yeah. young, young young adults, it, it yeah. was a, a less expensive meal. Right. For what you get. For what you get. And yeah. there is still one Sizzler. Well, there are a few, I think, but this one happens to be across the street from the Kia Forum where we saw Depeche Mode. I like how you have to say the Kia Forum. You can't just say the Forum. You can't just, can't just, just call pay it the us fabulous, for that. Just call it the Fabulous, fabulous Forum. forum. Yeah. Not even the Great Western Forum? <laughs> sure, you can call it the Great <laughs> Yeah, across across the street from the forum where we saw Depeche Mode. That's where Sizzler was. And all these years, I told you then, that uh, Steve and I talk about going, oh, we should just go there one day before the show. We haven't been there since we were probably in college. Right. Where and, you have warm feelings of like, yeah. yeah it was, but we never did. So yeah, we went with you. Which was and, smart. But once the music started, like, oh, I forgot all about it until like the next morning. I'm like, oh my God, what did I do last night? We did it. Oh okay, my we God. Did it. We did don't I? have to go back. But we also had, we had, you had a beer and I had some wine and it was like a third of the price that well, it would have been at sure. the forum. Next time, if we go to the Sizzler, I will just get a beer. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Enough, enough Sizzler talk. Depeche Mode was fucking awesome though, right? Yeah. Yeah. They're great. I, I keep doing the, uh, the Dave gone uh, spin now. <laughs> Dave's got spread the your arms down. Just, just whirly, whirly. Just like put a your whirling arm, dervish. Yeah, just spread your arms out as wide as you can, and then just spin around. Just keep spinning. Not sure if anyone but Dave Gahan could fill that, could pull that off. Yeah. Oh, I can. Yeah, you can. That's true. Dave <laughs> Gahan and Dave Sloan. Yeah, there you go. Can't imagine Robert Smith of the Cure doing that. <laughs> no, Iggy, Iggy, Iggy. No, Iggy's got Iggy wouldn't, wouldn't do that. It's too, it's too choreographed for you. No, yeah. Iggy. <laughs> Did you enjoy the Cure show? Cure. S- stuff happened at the Cure. Stuff happened. <laughs> I'm told. What were you doing? Tell me an event that happened at well, the no, Cure. Well, no, well, we were, we had some nice seats and when the Cure went into Love Song, I looked behind me and the couple behind me, um, the, the guy was proposing to his uh, soon to be fiance, apparently. She said yes. I, it looked like she did because I took a picture and I have this random picture of these <laughs> random people who I don't know who they are. But if you're listening to this podcast, I have a photo of you, of your first photo as a man and fiance. We were literally. Uh, what do you say? You has, as a. Fiancé uh, and fiance. They were literally in our box. Well, yeah. We were in a box together. Yes. And then I turned around and they were gone, of course, because once you're married or once you're proposed, you can't just sit there. Yeah. You have to consummate you got, it. You got no. You got to start planning the wedding. <laughs> yeah, fortunately, they did not consummate the, their engagement in the box. Fortunately for yeah. that, that was they, great. That was a yeah, yeah. Very, very good night. There was a great reissue of uh, the replacements, Tim, and so we got to speak to Peter Jesperson, who was the first manager of the replacements the most important manager of the replacements and uh, also headed up twin tone records. And he had a book out and we got to talk to him. Were you part of the recording process during Tim? I was, you know, initially, I mean, literally the night before we were going in to start the record, we had a meeting at my apartment uh, and with Tommy Erdely and all of a sudden Westerberg said, Oh, by the way, we don't want you in the studio while we're making this record. And it was like, knife in the heart kind of thing. And then as the band, after they'd finished the tracking and it was just Paul and the engineer and Tommy Erdely in the studio, 
somehow Paul kind of invited me back. You know, we, we went through our ups and downs, but we always circled back to being friends. And I think one of the key moments was that I had been talking to the A&R guy from Warner's, Michael Hill, and I'd been talking to Michael and he uh, said to me, hey, has Paul done the solo song yet? And I said, well, there isn't a solo song for this record that I know of anyway. And he said, oh no, Paul told me he's got one. And that was kind of like weird because usually I'd be the first person Paul would talk to about these solo songs. And so I kind of went into the, you know, the studio where Paul was at one point was kind of going, so you're holding out on me, I hear. Michael says, you got a solo song. And Paul got physically nervous right away. He got really like uncomfortable. There was no question about it. And I was like, wow, what's happening here? And he kind of like tried to sort of push it off, you know, deny it or whatever for a minute. And then all of a sudden he said, God damn it. Yep, I do have one and let's do it. And I got an acoustic guitar here. We immediately said, okay, I want to cover up the window to the control room. Come here. And he and I pulled these big choir baffles that they had in the studio for other, you know, the studio did recorded, you know, orchestras and choirs and stuff. They had these big, huge choir baffles and we moved them. They're on wheels. We moved them to block the window. And then I pulled one chair to the middle of the room and Paul sat down and Steve Felstead, the engineer, brought out a microphone for the guitar and a microphone for Paul's voice. And then he went back into the control room and I was like, okay, Paul, are you ready? Everything, you need anything else? You need a bottle of water? You need a beer whatever? He said, no, I'm good. And as I walked out, he said, turn the lights down. I want it almost pitch black. So as I went out, I took the fader on the light switch and brought it way, way down. I could barely see him in the middle of the big studio room. And then we went into the control room and hit record. And he did, here comes a regular, and there's three grown men in the control room with tears going down our cheeks. I mean, it was like, you know, one of the most powerful experiences I ever had. It was just absolutely breathtaking. That was cool, because I could talk replacements all the time. So, so yeah, we talked to, to Peter Jesperson. We talked to a lot of other authors as well, right? Uh, yes, we did talk to a lot of authors. Uh, name me one or two or three. <laughs> well, Annie Zaleski. <laughs> Annie Zaleski, our favorite, who, who actually, she put out two books this year. That we talked to her about. She did. We uh, talked to her first earlier in the year about her pin, book on pink. That's true. Yeah. Well, that was a that was a treat for me. Thank you for indulging me on that. <laughs> you know, she she's you know outside of our normal realm, but you there know there is no realm. Huge. What difference does it make, right? What difference does it make? Yeah. If I would say, give me a pink song, I, I don't know anything about her. Can you tell me? Oh, what? not anything. See, if I'm telling people like, if you don't know anything about her, listen <laughs> to "Raise Your Glass," get the party started. You know, just like a pill is like a really powerful song. You know, what about us? Who knew? Like, the, I, I would say she's one of those artists you can say the hits are really good. Like, start with the hits, get a greatest hits record. That's a real good sort of encapsulation of what she's about. Because I mean, my God, like that's she just has so many good songs. Like, it's it's difficult to you know narrow it down, honestly. So that was awesome. But we also had her back during the holidays. She has a Christmas. Music, song by song. Right. So thank you for indulging me on that. That was my pleasure because I, I love you. I love Annie. We know that I don't love Christmas music so much. You helped me turn a corner. Not fully engaged in the corner, but the, the corner is turned. No, I'm, I'm there. I'm on, the, I'm on the Christmas music train, <laughs> sort of. Sorry. Yeah, that's right. You did discover Father Christmas by the Kinks. That's your new favorite song. Yes. Okay. Well, actually, well, this wasn't in the book, but we know Alanis covering Last Christmas. It's also among my favorites. Well, last Christmas, number one Christmas they, song of the UK this year. They in, got there. In 2023. They, he got there. They got, they got there. there. They got there. Yeah. 
So well-deserved by Wham. There was also the the Wham documentary. Did you watch that in 2023? Hell yeah. I thought that was beautiful. Yeah. How, about, how about you? Oh yeah. That was great. Yeah. Really good. It's what helps these guys get in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame now. You have to put out a documentary before you get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame now. It seems that way. It's just kind of reminding the board or whatever. Yeah. Whoever but, it's in charge. Yeah. But it's, it's kind of ridiculous now, but you got to remember that the Go-Go's with their documentary, yeah. Yeah, that's how it's done. Let's see. Okay, so that was what we talked to Annie Zaleski, name and that. And give me another one. Oh, we talked to Jason Thomas Gordon. That was one of my favorite episodes. He wrote the book called The Singers Talk. Yes, and what did the singers talk about? The singers talk about their voices, which is super cool. And I hope I'm not overusing that, but it was, <laughs> it, it was really interesting to hear him. Jason Thomas Gordon is a musician. He's a singer also. And so he talked to singers, a lot of singers that we were familiar with, about their voices. Talked to Robert Smith of The Cure. Yeah. Talked to Bruce Springsteen. Talked to Tom York of Radiohead. Talked to Brian Adams, your favorite. (laughs) So sort of along the same lines as where you're singing from, you talk about warm-up. You know, you asked the artists about their warm-ups. And there were some particularly funny ones like uh, Joan Jett. Squeaky Door and Perry Farrell, uh, the Kermit. Yeah, yeah. Did they Perry. do these for you? Did did they demonstrate this for you on the phone? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully everybody signs off on a podcast eventually, and we can get some of the some of this out there to people. Uh, we'll see what happens, but but I mean, yeah. Uh, so many singers were singing, breaking into song, showing me their warm ups. You know, you know, saying them out loud. Perry had me singing like Kermit, <laughs> you know, it was just incredible. And so it's like, okay, next show, do I try to warm up like Kermit the Frog and see how I sing that night? You know, so now you have all these, again, you're picking and choosing. Okay, that didn't really work, you know, for me. Well, maybe I'll try the Perry Farrell Kermit the Frog apo- approach and see if that works for me. And the squeaky door. Try this. The, the squeaky door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joan Jett does a little squeaky door thing. She says she does on stage, and you know she's having trouble on stage. She'll just do it and turn away from the mic and and make this sound like a squeaky door and stick her tongue out. And she's like, I don't care if it looks stupid. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> and also, the proceeds of this book go to St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital, and music gives to St. Jude. And yeah, he was he was great to talk to. He has his own band, King Size. Yeah, good band. Their single is Pain Reliever. We're checking out. Yeah, he's, he's got a good voice. He, he knows how to use it. He's he's learned from the best. And you know, we got to uh, talk to a couple rock stars. We talked to a lot of <laughs> you know, rock stars. Deborah Ayal, you remember her from Romeo Void. From Romeo Void. Your appearance on American Bandstand. I just watched that, and you made mention of your your coat that you wore with the with the art- artistic. What was, what was the story behind the, the jacket? And Well, Frank went and did that. Frank made that happen. He went out, I'm pretty sure he bought all the jackets and painted them Jackson Pollock style. And that was something that he thought, you know, just be a great look for us to wear. Um, I wore mine, you know, on uh, American Bandstand. And I got to make Dick Clark laugh. You know, when I said, well, we made it onto Bandstand. And he does this wiggle, his whole body does this undulation. It's really cool. So that's like my claim to fame. I right. made Dick Clark undulate. <laughs> she was delightful. Indeed. Yeah. She had, uh, yeah, some great insights into the San Francisco scene. We, we learned a lot about 
where we go? We went to San Francisco, learned about the scene from Deborah. We went to Philadelphia. We talked with Dane Sabatino of the Dead Milkmen, learned about the Philadelphia scene. When we started to play shows, the Milkmen did. I joined the Milkmen in 1983, and uh, we started playing shows. It was an interesting scene because um, there were lots of all-ages hardcore shows with hardcore bands coming through town, basically booking their shows through the back pages of rock, Maximum Rock and Roll. We uh, were friends with the guy who booked shows, Chuck Meehan uh, booked shows here, and uh, his shows were great because he wasn't afraid to mix mix it up a little bit. Like We weren't really a hardcore band, and, and we never were. Um, but we were on these bills with hardcore bands and that's how we got our start. Um, uh, so I, you know, I think it was great that Philadelphia kind of welcomed all kinds of different styles. So it was very varied, uh, very friendly. Um, you know, we, we played shows where, you know, you could get a, a dollar off your ticket price, of, which was probably only three or four bucks if you brought a can of food for the homeless and that kind of thing. So, and then, you know, we played those shows for a few years and then, we scraped enough money together to get uh, an album together uh, and put it out in 85, 1985, you know, and then we too booked our shows all over the country using the back pages of Maximum Rock and Roll. You talk to rock stars, they, they give you they give you what's going on. They give you the truth. And we talked to Jock Bartley too of Firefall. Yeah. So he talked to us about the Boulder scene. That was a good one too. Yeah. Jock Bartley, he's great. Yeah. I mean, a lot of these guys are like, you want to talk to the singer of Firefall? Like, uh, maybe, sure. <laughs> we like, we look at each other like, oh, well, this could be interesting. And it was it was more than interesting. It was fascinating. And uh, um, he's a great storyteller. That's all you really want. Yeah. You want you want someone who could tell a great story. And that was Chuck. When Rick Roberts replaced Grand Parsons in the Flying Breeder Brothers, Burritos played in Washington D.C. And after the show, Rick Roberts the new lead vocalist, went to this club to hear this phenomenal female singer, Emmy Lou Harris. And Rick basically, in, uh, you know, discovered Emmy Lou. And he called Chris back at the hotel. And Chris said, I'm already in bed. No, I'm not going to come down. And Chris going, you got to come here, see her. And Chris kind of got, he takes a cab down and they see Emmy Lou Harris for the first time being a folk singer in Washington, D.C., and a few days later, Chris Hillman called Graham Parsons, his old buddy from the Birds and the Breeder Brothers, and said, I think we might have found the gal you're looking for. And a year or so later, Graham and Emmylou and the Fallen Angels, with a guitar player who had just joined the band, they wanted uh, Graham and everybody wanted James Burton, who had played all over the Graham's records, you know. Uh, but Elvis said, you're not going out with anybody else. You're my guitar player. So they said, okay, oh, hey, about, how about Clarence White? Ah, and Clarence White was with the Birds then. You know, so the two top guitar players they wanted to uh, to hire weren't available. And they hired a guy kind of sight unseen in the 11th hour. And they got in the bus and drove to their first gig in Boulder, Colorado. And I got a call from the manager of the club that they were going to play at and said, Jock, you better get down here. You might have a gig. And I went, who with? And he said, Graham Parsons. And I went, who? And he said, you know, the Flying Burrito Brothers, the birds. Oh, yeah. Okay, great. I went down there and I watched their first gig. And the guitar player that they had was mostly a, a, a acoustic player. And, and he was real nervous and got drunk. 
and they knew they needed to find a guitar player. And I got asked to sit in with them the next night. And I did. And fortunately for me, the band that was opening the show was kind of a 50s rock band that I'd go sit in and just play great at on the, you know, be a rock guy, you know, do what I do. So they could, they saw that I could play. Then I, you know, and they took a vote after the show and said, well, we need a really good rhythm guitar player. Number two, we need a good rock guitar player soloist who can play on our rock stuff. But mostly we need a really great country picker, a la James Burton, right? And all the records, right? And they looked at it and I was a terrible country picker. I had no experience in that at all, but I was the first two. And they said, well, two out of three is better than zero out of three. And I got hired. And the next morning at 9 a.m., the bus left for Austin, Texas. And I remember the late, great steel player, Neil Flans, and I in the back of the bus trying to drop the needle on the 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 uh, the turntable so I could try to learn that particular James Burton lick and stuff. Yeah. The end of this little part of the story is that the second gig we played in Liberty Hall in Houston, we're playing our set and onto the stage walk Neil Young and Linda Ronstadt. Oh, and it was the first time Emmylou Harris and Linda ever met or sang together. And, you know, and, and after we played, Neil says, hey, I'm having a party back at my hotel suite. Come on over. And so three bands, Neil Young's band, Linda Ronstadt's band, and Graham Parsons' band with Emmy Lou Harris go back to Neil's palatial suite in yeah. Houston. Uh, mass quantities of everything stay up till the, uh, dawn just about. But the most amazing thing was Graham, as he was wont to do, grabbed the guitar of Neil's and started playing like 20 country songs, you know, uh, by the Leuven brothers and stuff who I'd never heard of before, you know. And but what was amazing was about five feet away from Graham, Linda and Emmy Lou sat face to face about six inches apart, nose to nose, and blended their voices together for the very first time. And it was not only magical, but we all knew it was historic. It's like, wow. And and that they have a great sense of humor, like Howard Jones. Howard Jones, indeed. Howard Jones was a, that was a fun get. Actually, Howard Jones wasn't the fun get. The fun get was the fan of Howard Jones. He has a book called We're In This Together, where fans wrote their personal stories related to Howard Jones. And so, like an hour before our interview with Howard, I was thinking, oh, we should talk to, maybe we can reach out to a fan from L.A. So I scanned the book for K-Rock. There was only one person who mentioned K-Rock, which is shocking because I, when I think of Howard Jones music, I feel like this was the launching pad for him, was in Los Angeles. But it was just one woman, Dorit, and I looked her up on Facebook, and sure enough, I had a connection with her, someone, a friend of a, fr- a friend who knew her. So I sent her a DM saying, hey, you want to talk to Howard Jones? And 15 minutes later, she responded with, yeah, I want to talk to Howard Jones. She, of course, <laughs> did some quick uh, checking up on me to make sure I was legit. But it worked out well, and so she got to talk to her, probably her favorite artist was Howard Jones, but Dorit is, and so she 
told her story and, uh, you know, just everything about why she loves Howard Jones. And I think that made our, that episode really special. So it was one of of the highlights of last year. Hi, Dorit. Hello. You're on with Howard Jones. Hi, Howard. (laughs) Hi, Dorit. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Not so bad. I'm the day off at the moment, trying to rest. So we're hoping you might tell us how you ended up submitting your experiences to the book. Well, so I've been a fan for a very, very, very long time. And I follow Howard Jones on social media. And I saw the request for fan stories. And I've seen him so many times over the years that so many things have happened at shows that I felt compelled to share my stories. Even afterwards, I'm like, oh my God, I have new stories because I just saw Howard Jones in Tula Vista when we had Hurricane Hillary and I almost didn't go because I live in the LA area. And I'm like, oh, I have more stories to share. <laughs> but your, your first experience was at Universal Amphitheater. Yeah. So my best friend had won pit tickets to see Howard Jones at the Universal Amphitheater, which is sadly no longer a venue. And we were so excited and we were in the front row and dancing and singing. And it was, it was just like my, the best experience ever. That was my first time seeing Howard Jones. And yeah, I was so shocked when he was coming to Warner Center, one of our local free concerts in the parks, because it's unheard of to get names like Howard Jones. And the story I submitted is about how I was kind of mortified. Uh, we met some friends there. We all had our kids with us. Our kids were pretty young at the time. And I got there super, super early, Howard, because I wanted to be up front and to have the best spot to be able to see you and hear you and dance and sing. And there was like this chain link fence thrown across to provide a barrier between where the fans were going to be. And there was a grassy area and then the stage and security. And the kids Mm -hmm. were playing with the chain. So I had my kids sit down and we were picnicking and (laughs) just kept, kept, kept giving them snacks to keep them occupied but my friend's kids were out of control and the security guard came over and talked to us a couple of times. And I was so afraid that we were going to get kicked out or asked to leave or asked to move. So I kept distancing from those friends. I kept moving over a little bit more, a little bit more because I didn't want to get in trouble because of their kids. And I'm like, I'm not moving. I, I want this spot. <laughs> <laughs> great. <laughs> that's great. You did that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Stick to your guns and hold your ground. <laughs> she was great and we got lucky because she was articulate and had a lot to contribute sure so that was fun that was all, a good, good all howard jones fans are like that he seems like a, a really genuine guy loved the stories that we loved hearing about his mom you know who ran his fan club and just a whole family thing you know whole family vibe you know what's a cool family sly and the family stone no the immediate family the immediate family denny tedesco's film i loved it <laughs> yes uh, yeah, it's out now, and you can see it in theaters. And I'm sure it's streaming everywhere. But if it's not in theaters anymore, it's streaming and available, and so worth your time because uh, the immediate family is Russ Kunkel, Wadi Wachtel. <laughs> go ahead. So Holly, go ahead. So we got Russ Kunkel, Wadi Wachtel, Danny Korchmar, da- Cooch, Danny Korchmar, <laughs> uh, Leland Sklar, Lee, and we have uh, Steve Postel. Good. We talked to them a few years ago, early on in the pandemic, when they yeah. were still making pandemic music. Um, and we knew this. <laughs> oh, pandemic on- <laughs> music. That was great. So I'm sure you guys know they are the session musicians of the 70s and, and early 80s. They played with everybody, all our favorite artists. Uh, you know, Linda Ronstadt, Jackson Brown, Stevie Nicks. Everybody. Don Carol- Henley. Carol King. 
um, James Taylor, on and on and on. Anyway, so we talked to them in 2020 and they were talking about this film and we're like, okay, yeah, sounds great. Blah, blah, blah. And then sure enough, Denny Tedesco, who created the Wrecking Crew documentary, uh, his follow-up is this film about the immediate family. When the guys, when Jack and Greg and Jonathan, the, my producers, came to me with this idea, and I said, oh, this sounds great. I love this idea because, this, you know, about these guys that have this band called Immediate Family, and I knew who the guys were. I mean, they're legends. Mm -hmm. And at the beginning of Wrecking Crew, I tell this, I added that line with a VO, was this is a story about my father and his extended family, the Wrecking Crew. They were a family. You know, they see more of each other than their own families, you know, when you're working and stuff. And that lasted a good 10 years for them. And then with this one, with the fact that they had this band called Immediate Family, I said, oh, there's a nice spin there. There we go. And then the other thing is Lou Adler says at the end of um, Wrecking Crew, the question to him was, did you make a change in your sound did you consciously hire new musicians when you did tapestry he goes oh no he goes carol brought in cooch and and james her friend you know james taylor they were her friends so that song of um it's um it's too late i i can't hear a lyric to save my life by the way i can't hear lyrics unless it's written out i can't tell you what it says you, you too yes you mean uh, when you're listening to music yes yeah same it's the, uh, it's the music to me it is less i don't than, i can hear yeah. i can hear the riffs i can hear the beats mm -hmm. i can hear danny solo and i know danny solo i could scat danny solo <laughs> you know i can't play guitar by the way but i can you know what i mean and so that was like one of my favorite songs that album is such a beautiful album mm -hmm. so i was excited about it and then danny was the first one we set up carol king and Carol wanted Danny with her. So that's why Danny's in that. Oh, that's, that's why. Great. And it made sense. And it was yeah, great. Yeah. And, and that's the relationship. And he did a, this was a, also a labor of love. He'd been working on it for many, many, many years. He had to get creative with the, you know, the funding. He really wanted to make this happen. And finally, it got bought and it has been released. Denny does a really great job telling each of their stories. So. Highly recommend. That's a thumbs up. Big thumbs up. All right. Yeah. As I was talking about movies, we also talked to a couple, uh, a trio of documentarians, and they created Joan Baez, I Am a Noise. So Denny came to the garage. We also had Emil Spolder came to the garage to talk about his uh, documentary on the Dream Syndicate. And that was great because, like, this guy from a foreign country just came into a Sherman Oaks <laughs> garage, sight unseen. Like, all right, I'm just going to come here. Let's do, 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 do. And there he was. And it was great. Yeah, it was, he's from, uh, Emil is from the Netherlands. And this this film, which has now been released, I believe, right? Yeah, it, it's it out. Had, yeah, it's streaming now. Yeah, it had been screening. He There have been some screenings around the country. and But he was on vacation. He was basically on vacation with his with his girlfriend. And he just showed up in Sherman Oaks. Yeah, work is never done. <laughs> Always be closing. Dream Syndicate. Why? <laughs> Your origin story for Dream Syndicate. It all started in uh, 2003 at the famous Paradiso in Amsterdam, this concert venue. Um, I was 19 at the moment and I was a huge Ryan Adams fan and it was my first time seeing Ryan Adams perform. I was very excited going there. Um, but it was Steve Wynn and the Miracle 3 mm -hmm. opening for Ryan Adams and the opening band was 
either equally as good or maybe even better than the main act. So I was very impressed with the band and started following Steve Wynn in the years after. Mm. And after shows, he's, uh, he's usually performing in smaller concert venues around Europe, uh, the two, three hundred seat uh, places and after the shows he's always very approachable and you can mm-hmm. talk to him at merch stand so i talked to him quite a few times after the shows and i also had a, a music television show at a local tv station called music in the backyard this helped me to get in touch with a lot of musicians and also steve win in 2009 when i was living in the, uh, los angeles for a year i was studying film here mm-hmm. Uh, the first week I was here, uh, Steve Wynn was performing at the Troubadour with his band, The Baseball Project. He has this band together oh, with... My favorite. Yeah. <laughs> I love those guys. Yeah. <laughs> his band's t- band together with his wife, Linda Pittman, and the guys from REM. Who I love. I, got, so, I have Linda on my shirt. Oh, nice, <laughs> nice. <laughs> I walked in the venue and I walked uh, right into Steve Wynn and he recognized <laughs> me. And he introduced me to his friends and family who were also at the show, since he's originally from Los Angeles. And I started talking to his friends. And at a certain moment, uh, I was talking to his mom. And (laughs) I told her I was uh, starting film school here in a few weeks. And she just said it at a certain point. Well, would it be nice if someone ever makes a movie about my son? And... In the coming weeks, I started thinking about it. It always was my dream to make a music documentary. And this seemed like a really interesting subject. And Steve seemed to be pretty down with the idea. This, I really want to do this project. And I want to meet all these musicians and hear their stories. So, yeah, we talked to a number of documentarians. That was, well. Yeah. But also, I don't know if you would call him a documentarian, but we talked to Mark Altman. Oh, that's right. That was the other one. Greatest Geek Year Ever, which was 1982. This was a TV show streaming on... It was TBS, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think you could still watch The Greatest Geek Year Ever. Yeah. That was fun. It was fun talking to him about it. Oh, yeah. He's a geek himself. So, that was... It was a good match. Yeah. We talk a little bit about movies, but this was an opportunity to focus solely on, on the movies. At the end, we, we talked to a bunch of people about like what they think the best movie of 82 was. And, you know, my answer, it's going to bore you, is The Verdict. I, I thought The Verdict was the best movie of 82. Uh, I, I just love that movie. Sidney Lumet I, you know, directed it. I think it's really, you know, brilliantly written by David Mamet and, you know, Paul Newman's so great in it. But, you know, if we're going to go with the geek stuff, well, I, I, know, I know that's really what you're asking. You know, Star Trek II is such a boring answer. I I feel like maybe I would say Poltergeist because it's a horror movie that actually is about the characters and not just about what happens to the family. And it's so brilliantly executed, but man, genre, maybe fast times. I just, it's such a smart movie. Amy Herkeling. I, I, it's, Oh, you know what? I'm going to pick diner. I'll pick diner. How about that? (laughs) I'm going with diner. I, I love diner. Yeah. I mean, I live that, you know, we all live that. I mean, you know, in, in my, my twenties, you know, and thirties, I mean, that was it going to, you know, you're going to finish those fries and talking about what we talked about movies, music, and, you know, girls and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, and, and more, and more French fries. Yes. Poltergeist came out the thing. Conan, Conan the barbarian. There you go. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, all your nerdy films came out. Grease too. <laughs> 48 hours, 
so much good stuff. Anyway, uh, 82 was a was a good year. Yeah. But he to do a documentary on <laughs> for specifically on the movies. So, yeah, we had a good time. 2023. We had a great time in 2023. I'm looking forward to uh, 2024 to be a, an excellent year. I am. Looking I'm looking forward to using better words. <laughs> better than excellent. Should we start now? Should we start? We, we need. Why to- start now? We're still. I mean, technically, we're recording in 2023, but this is in. In 2020, this will air in 2024. All right. We're still, so we can compare and contrast when we do this and, you know, record this again next year, we will know that we won't hear extraordinaire or excellent or, or super great, cool. super cool. Fantastic. Yeah. 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 Great. Okay. <laughs> it was great. It was great. Well, it has been a great year. And thank you, Dave, for being my partner for yet another year. I'm so happy. There is no one I would rather do this with. Oh, well, thank you very much. Same same goes here. This has been, it's always wonderful, especially when we do it uh, mano a mano, face to face. <laughs> yeah, I know. It is nice to see you. Maybe we can do some more uh, in, in person this, this coming year. If we can figure out how to do this uh, configuration, it's... Uh, this production it's it's very intricate yeah. <laughs> for, yes. for a lay person like myself who can't figure out what's going on but we managed to put together 37 episodes from 2023 maybe we could do the same next year here's to 37 more for 2024 2024 1986 7 1987 2024 19 or what is this 37 2024 1987 okay oh so many it's a lot of numbers okay but and what what's the year 33 years. 33 years. Okay, right. We're looking at 33 years ago. Okay. The year that was 33 years ago. All right. Well, I can't wait to see what happens. Congratulations. We got through uh, this year. It's more than getting through. We enjoyed this year. <laughs> we, we, we didn't just get we through. We slogged through another year, Holly. <laughs> Here's to another one. <laughs> we like doing this. Yeah, we do indeed. I would toast with, uh, I don't like toasting with water, but... Is that not, is that really a thing? Yeah, you don't toast with water. Why? Because it's empty. It's just it's not. I don't know. It's just water. It's. Yeah, I think it's like. In fact, I think it's bad luck. I have no idea. So are we supposed to toast, I don't toast know. with salt and pepper? Shakers? Sure. <laughs> That's okay. Well, we can in, insert toast here. Yeah. There you go. Well. Well, here's <laughs> to another to year. Cheers to you, Holly. <laughs> and uh, until next week, this is Dave. This is Holly. Check you later. Over and out. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.